from Hong Kong, Chicago and the city of Stoke-on-Trent. This is the Classic Lenses Podcast. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 122 with that tapping going on in the background there. Uh, my name is Simon Forster and I'm joined by Johnny Sisson and Perry G. Hello Johnny. Hello. Hello Perry. Hello. Well, first of all, I just want to say thanks to Nick Lyle, who was with us, well, I can't really say last week, uh, because we didn't do a show last week, um, but the week before we had Nick Lyle on the show from the uh, Homemade Camera Podcast. Um, really enjoyed having you on with us, Nick, and um, we'll do it again sometime, so thank you for, for being with us. So, uh, what's the weather like in Chicago, Johnny? Uh, I, it's sunny, and I think it's less humid today. I think. I haven't been out. And Perry, is it hot as balls over there? Oh, yeah. It has been super hot, uh, super sunny, lots of lots of photography. That's good. That's good. Well, uh, we'll, we'll kick the show off then and find out what's been going on in the world, shall we? Well, first, first, breaking important news, right? Newcastle United are safe from relegation, and Stoke City <laughs> is one win away from safety. So tell me about the celebrations in Stoke, Simon, or the upcoming celebrations when Stoke <laughs> secures their place in the championship. Yeah, our our socially distanced... Um, um, it looks like they're going to be celebrations. There's going to be real... Re, re, is there something for, for re, that you do if you just get relieved of something, uh, that something bad isn't going to happen? Um, but at the moment, we can't, we can't be uh, too comfortable because, I mean, the way the... The, the league is at the moment that uh, Stoke City, uh, pride of the Potteries, um, is, um, is, is at this moment, um, it's just so tight at the bottom. We shouldn't be down there, of course, because our team is far too good to go down, of course, uh, to be relegated. Um, but who knows, it is, it is still quite technically possible and, and not infeasible. So uh, uh, fingers crossed, but well done uh, to, to Newcastle. Um, is it Newcastle Town? Oh, that's the local one to us, isn't it? So New, Newcastle United, it's the the other Newcastle. Um, so yeah, so uh, that's your team, isn't it, Perry? Sort of. Uh, sort of, yeah, yeah. I've been supporting them for more than half my life, and I think the moment I started supporting them was the moment they started turning shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bobby Robson was in charge when I started following, and it was all downhill from there. Yeah. There you go. The 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 joys of following uh, football teams or soccer teams, as uh, as some some people wish to call them, as well. Although I was at a pub quiz uh, last week, and one of the categories was matching Premier League football teams with uh, their nicknames, and that took me about fifteen seconds to complete the quiz. So I was quite pleased with that. Yeah, yeah, that's good. It's good that it's got some use. That's that's excellent. So, so Simon, we. We never, we never got around to hearing what you've been up to when, when we had Nick on because uh, we blabbed about a bunch of other stuff. So avoiding relegation, what else is up in Stoke? Well, um, seeing that I haven't actually done a huge amount in the last seven days or so, um, it's, it's probably just as well I didn't talk about what, what, what happened before um, because uh, I went out um, with my relatively newly acquired uh, Biotar and... I decided to mount it on my Contax AX uh, film camera, and um, and also shoot some uh, some Fuji uh, slide film, uh, some Fuji Velvia 50, uh, which 
Um, I've never shot before. At least I don't think I've shot before. Um, and it's I'm I'm told that it's it's, it's expired, of course. Uh, but uh, I believe it's uh, it's been freezer stored, and certainly I've had it in the fridge uh, since since I bought a few rolls of the stuff. Um, but this was like probably like the first uh, trip out with a friend with a camera. Um, so so that was a case of we both had to drive to the destination individually because we weren't allowed to be in the same car as each other and then uh, we we socially distanced um as we as we took a walk up a up a a, a small well it's it's a sort of a river valley but it's 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 far less grand than that it's a what we would call a brook um i don't know if that if that means anything in uh, other parts of the world but it's uh, it's a tributary uh, to a proper river um, but it's quite steep and, uh, and it's got waterfalls and things like that. And it's a lovely, beautiful, uh, deciduous forest. And uh, it was a really, really hot day. Um, one of the best days we've had this year. And I decided that oh, I better, better put some sunblock on or something like that. And then as soon as we went into the forest, we never saw the sun again. Um, so I just, just walked around just greasy uh in in humid conditions and instead of you know being perfectly comfortable as i would have been um but um i took uh the, i didn't just take the the biotar uh with me which i was just being just, just dying to use i just wanted to use that biotar on something and that's the uh um the uh i talked about it a couple of weeks ago i think um so it's an m42 biotar and it's it's easy enough to get an m42 adapter for contacts and of course putting it on the contacts ax uh, also gives me autofocus not that I actually needed autofocus in any shape or form um, but I, you know it's there and it's a and it's a bit of a gimmick for me so I, I, I gave it a go um, and uh, autofocused on lots of still objects um, with no, <laughs> absolutely no need to do it but it also that camera though does give me the, the advantage of having effectively built-in uh, built-in extension ring uh, because the the way that that camera auto focuses manual focus lenses is how it would um it moves the focal plane um so it allows a lens with a um, i think i could get down to like about point point three of a meter i think with it oh, which nice. is which is certainly you couldn't do that uh, in fact actually i've got the lens in front of me what is the minimum focus so i did check it at the time so i thought let's give it a go um actually minimum focus doesn't oh yeah uh, 0.9 and I'm sure I got it down to about 0.3 uh, that might have been working distance rather than the, or the there's minimum focal distance and uh, the working distance I can't remember what it is but it was a lot lot closer um, so that that was good um, but that was largely where the good things ended uh, because I felt that I really needed to be using a 50 millimeter lens and yeah those eight those eight extra millimeters, as, as Johnny well knows, uh, makes all the difference. And uh, in, in certainly in my case, you know, I just didn't want them. And I was having to like step further back to the point where there were times where I couldn't quite get far enough back to get the shot that I wanted. And then secondly, uh, because the light levels were relatively low and I'm using, uh, I was using that ISO 50 film, um, I was shooting largely you know, wide open or certainly with the wider apertures and with, with slow shutter speeds. Um, and, and 50 millimeter would have been right, but 58 millimeter was just that little bit too long. And I just, just felt that if I'd, if I'd taken my contacts lens, my 51.4, I could have been shooting an F, maybe an F2. And I would have, 
See, the thing is, I, was, I wasn't really getting detail in these shots. I was trying to get you know, a wider vista of what was in front of me, and therefore I wanted to have as much in focus as I could do. Um, and the thing is, by using the biotar, I know that whatever was going to be in the middle of the shot was going to be reasonably in focus, you know, whatever mm -hmm. I was pointing to. But I know that what was going on at the edges was going to be a bit, let's call it just say soft or a bit, maybe even a bit funky, who knows. Um, whereas, you know, I think I would have, on that would have been a day where I just wanted just a, a dependable flat uh, lens uh, like the uh, like the planar is. So I've not, I've only shot about half the roll. So I don't know um, how these shots are going to come out and whether or not actually I'm going to be pleasantly surprised by what I've got or whether I'm going to be there thinking these these would have been great if I had the right lens with me. So um, the the whole thing you're talking about, I thought I thought you were uh, talking about the 75 Biotar at first, but now you made it clear it's the 58. Um, There's a question I was going to ask you guys later, but this is actually the perfect time for it because you're talking about the difference between 50 and 58 millimeters, uh, as though it's fairly significant, right? Um, and my question is, I've always thought about differences in focal length in terms of percentages, because, you know, a difference of 50 millimeters makes very little difference if you're, like, shooting a 400 millimeter lens, right, versus if you're shooting wider lenses. So if you go from, like, 15 millimeters to 21 millimeters, that's a huge jump. But if you go from 50 to 58, it's less of a jump, but still still a jump. Um, and I've always assumed that, for example, if you go from 50 to 58, or let, let's go 50 to 55 because it's easier math. You go from 50 to 55 millimeters. I've always assumed that that's basically a 10% difference in field of view. Uh, and and I, th I think that's correct, right? I, without, without the numbers in front of me, I, I don't know frankly well like let's say you go from uh 25 millimeters to 50 i've always thought of the 50 millimeter as having um you know half the field of view as a as a lens with yeah. you know half the focal length yeah but which is why for example when you go from like 20 to 24 that's a 20 percent increase but if you go from like 100 to 104 it's only a four percent increase so it's much smaller As in the difference from twenty to twenty-four. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I get that. I'm just, just trying to follow the maths there. Um, was, you know, it's, yeah. I mean, I, I, I get exactly where you, where, where you're coming from. Anyway, I suppose that even okay. if I don't entirely understand the mathematics there, I, 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 right. I get where you, what you're saying. So, so just for reference, yes, <laughs> the, the, the angle of view difference between uh, fifty and fifty-five millimeters. Uh, this is the horizontal angle of view, which is probably the one that we notice the most. Uh -huh. uh, 50 millimeters is 39.6. 55 is 36.2. Okay. 60 and millimeters is 33.4. Okay. So, 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 so that, yeah. Sorry, go on. No. So it's like a half a step each way. But that. so that leads perfectly to my question, um, which is, you know, assuming this rough, estimate is correct that like you know if you, you double the focal length your field of view kind of halves is it the diagonal that changes in percentage or the area of the frame so well, I, th I was gonna say i think we've established that i don't know so it's uh, by, well i think i think i mean it's technically it's both because you're no you, it, 
if you think about it as a box, as a no, rectangle. Wait, no, but if you if you if you double the diagonal, the area gets much. You get way more area than double. Mm -hmm. um, it's like when you know. It, it's like when you go from, uh, you know, if you think like micro four thirds is is um, two times crop, right? Uh, compared to like a full frame, but the area of the full frame is like way bigger because you've doubled the diagonal. I think it's four times, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, so here's the difference. So 50 millimeter lens diagonal angle of view is 46.8. Can you compare that with 25? Uh, yeah, 25 is 84.1. So it's it's not quite double the diagonal. Right. Okay. But it's almost double. Almost. Hmm. Yeah, 100 millimeters is 24. 4.4 50 millimeters is 46.8 so is that a three by two frame because i wonder if, if if it's a that's, square that's three by two yeah so if it's square perhaps it is double anyway so so that was that was my but here's why this is my here's why this matters right because if you if you double the diagonal the area increases way more than double right which is why if you go from like 12 meters to tw if you go from like 24 millimeters to 48 millimeters it's like significantly wider right like way 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 wider even if the diagonal is just doubled the overall field of view just feels much larger because the area of the image is like blown up because there's four dimensions on, not four dimensions four, <laughs> four edges on a square <laughs> Um, could you just re remind us of where where the, why we're having this conversation besides the, the because was what sorry <laughs> you were saying that you wanted a fifty when you were shooting a fifty eight ah oh, right and okay I, and I'm sure a lot of listeners their reaction is well what the hell is the difference they're pretty close and right? I'm so glad you've explained it to them now <laughs> and so the difference to me would be around sixteen percent because that's the percentage increase from fifty to fifty eight. But it's like, is it a 16% increase in area or is it a 16% increase in the diagonal? Because a 16% increase in the diagonal is significantly more than a 16% increase in the area. You know what I'm saying? This is too Asian for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I, 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 I mean, for my part, I'm just picturing uh, two rectangles. And the rectangle for 58 is a C hair bigger than the rectangle for 50. So I'm like, what the hell is Simon talking about? Just back up half a step. Well, I'm, I'm confused so to me, here. So to me, the 50 oh. millimeters was too long, not the 58. It should have just been, I mean, because they're basically the same. No, no, the 50. The 50 but, but yeah, the, 50, the 58 was definitely too long for me to take a particular shot because I was backed up against the tree. Right, and the 50, the 50 would have been basically too long as well. No, that would have been perfect. Oh, I wouldn't have. You just say that because you didn't have it with you. <laughs> I, this, this reminds me of a conversation with 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 Carl with Carl once um, when uh, he was like saying, "What? Why, why would you ever need a twenty-eight millimeter macro lens?" I mean, you know. And, I, and then I described a a, a situation where um, I only just had enough room because of a tree again, um, and, um, that uh, that it was it was actually just just right, you know. And I couldn't have got in that space anymore. And and, uh, and John uh, Carl Carl just just turned around and. I think this was a, a typed conversation and said, well, in America, we just blow the tree up, you know. Right, right, right. I'm looking for a chart here. We had, among the things that burned up at Central Camera, 
we had a couple of really good old school angle of view charts that were, I mean, they were super, super helpful. Um, but I mean, just for sake of comparison, I'll drop this some bitch in the chat and we can look at it. So for you folks at home, I'll describe what we're doing. I'm putting an image into our chat window that we use while we're communicating during the podcast, which you can't see. <laughs> because I know that some people have, have issues with that. So I'm just explaining what's going on. So hold on, I'm going to drop this in the chat window right now. I'm sure there are some listeners, maybe someone like Jason Lane or others who are throwing things right now. Yeah, Jason uh, Lane is throwing things right now. So, so if anyone has a definitive uh, explanation of the math behind you know, increases in uh, the change in focal length, the change in angle of view or field of view. The math isn't how we visualize the world. Well, I guess no, some, right, right. No, some, no, but some here, windows do. Here's the logic behind it, right? So, for example, Simon's shooting with his biotar, right? He would never carry a 50 millimeter lens and a 58 millimeter lens at the same time. Um, like, uh, you know, for the same same purpose. You might do it for character because they're too, they're too close, right? Gen generally, and, generally speaking, yes. I agree. Yeah, I agree with that. Generally, generally, right. So, yeah. by that logic, it's the same reason why, for example, um, I wouldn't carry a thirty-five and a twenty-eight millimeter lens because even though they're different, right. in my mind, it's like a twenty percent difference in field of view, right? Which kind of corresponds to the seven millimeter difference. That's that's around twenty twenty-five percent difference in in like the focal length. But I I can make a you can make a case for carrying a twenty-one millimeter and a twenty-eight millimeter, right? Even though it's still a seven percent, uh, even though it's still a seven millimeter difference between the lenses, the percentage difference between twenty one and twenty seven is much higher, right? right? Yeah, because the wider you get, the more apparent the difference in the angle of view is. Well, I've always thought about it as it's more like a thirty five to forty percent difference in focal length versus twenty eight to thirty five is more like a, you know, maybe a, a twenty twenty five percent difference. That makes sense. Yeah, uh, it, it, it it makes complete sense when you. Um, I just just don't use maths when I uh, yeah. work, work these these things out. Um, but uh, what's 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 in the, well, interesting there? I I discern a larger difference uh, between a fifty millimeter lens, say say a planar, um, and a fifty eight than I mm -hmm. do yeah. with, say, a 50-millimeter lens and a 45-millimeter lens. I can immediately see that difference more with a 58. Okay, and, mm. you know, we're talking like 8 millimeters difference um, versus 5 millimeters difference, but to go on your the, the, the angle of view, I think there's a larger difference in angle of view between 45 and 50 than there is between 50 and 58. Uh, well, it would be just over 10% between 45 and 50, but more than 10% for 50 and 58. So there is a bigger difference oh, between 50 okay. and 58. No, I, I yeah. Could, yeah, I see where you're coming from there. That makes yeah, sense. You, what you oh, want to look at is... That's as good, isn't it? It is. So 40, 40 millimeters to 50 millimeters would be a bigger difference than 50 to 58. Correct. Yeah. And that's a visible difference. Although mm. in practice, it might not make that much of a difference. Mm. Right. <laughs> anyway, that was the question I wanted to ask you guys. Simon, you set it up perfectly. Uh, I don't think we we've answered it. 
It's subjective. That's the answer. No, it's not f- subjective. It's <laughs> not but, but, but it is because there's no difference between a 50 and a 60 pretty much, except if you're Simon. And there's no difference between a 21 and a 28 unless you're Perry. You what? see what I'm saying? No, I'm saying it's it's it. I'm saying the difference that we see in angle of view could be the way we observe and take in the scene oh, with certain lenses. Sure. No, no, that makes sense. Which that doesn't makes. align with, which doesn't necessarily align with the math. Right. So, right. So, cause yeah. like I said, to me, a 58 and a 50 are the same. They're, uh, it's, it's half a step, like at the most. So there's nothing. But to me, a 21 and a, you know, a 28 is a much bigger difference or a, or a, you know, a 17 and a 21 or 15 and 21, like Voigtlander terms, is a really big difference. It, they're right. really different. But, but right? there's actually a huge percentage difference between 17 and 21 and 21 there and 28. Is. Yeah. Whereas the percentage difference from 50 to 58 is much smaller. Right. So, so what you're saying, I, I see what you mean, that your subjective perception, you may not pay attention to like the outer edges of the frame. And so certain wide angles are similar. Right. But the difference, when you go from like 17 to, let's say, 24... It's right? objectively a much bigger difference, yeah. Ob- objectively a huge difference uh, right. of that seven millimeters, where if you go from 50 to, say, 57 or 58, um, it's, like a te- it's like a 10% difference, just over a 10% difference, for 14 and 16 specifically. So um, objectively, it's a smaller difference, but subjectively, I see what you mean. But Simon, I know what you mean too, because when I use a 58, it feels too long. Um, and 50 feels too long for me most of the time, but 58 feels like properly too long. <laughs> so, so I know what you mean. Good. Good. I'm, I'm glad yeah. we cleared that up. Well, okay. And then we just throw one more, let me throw one more at it. So it depends on, it depends on a lot on, and I think you already kind of touched on this, Perry. It depends a lot on the aspect ratio because mm-hmm. the, so the Olympus pen half frame is a great example. Yeah. The 38 millimeter, lens versus the 40 millimeter lens right you're talking the difference essentially between uh in aspect rate i mean you're talking the difference between a 50 and a 58 but Mm -hmm. because it's a four thirds it's a more rectangular um it's a more rectangular uh you know aspect ratio the difference is really not very noticeable and it, it equates really easily to 35 millimeters. So to me, a, a, what is a 58 millimeter lens on the Olympus pen in terms of, you know, full frame 35 millimeter terms, it doesn't yeah. look overly tight. Right. Right. As it would yeah. on a 35 because the aspect ratio is more rectangular. But I, I think it's okay. Aspect ratio may be part of it because I, I agree. If you're using like a square format, the difference in focal length is very diff- different in how you perceive it. Right. But I think it's also the way that you shoot with different focal lengths because I think with longer focal lengths, you tend to... I'm, I'm going to generalize here, but you tend to fill the frame with a subject a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, which means you're paying a lot more attention to you know just your subject and then right. the edges are also closer. Whereas right. if you're shooting wide angles, there does come a point where like you kind of stop giving a crap about the edges in so like in terms of your subject yeah exactly you, you just look at sort of how much of your field of view is getting into the shot right and so i can imagine you know if, you, if you're used to using a 50 millimeter and you're filling the frame with like a tree or a flower um or whatever else is in stoke 
um, then, you know, that, that 10% increase, that 16% increase to 58, like sort of tightens the edges of the frame significantly if you're already used to filling the frame. Right. Whereas if you're not filling the frame and you go from like 35 to 40, then who gives a crap? Right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So we've established it was too long then. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm glad we agree on that. Um, so, um, so that was that. Um, I think I think that's as much as it is to say about that trip. Uh, took other lenses with me and just almost exclusively used the slightly too long biotar. Um, and uh, the other the other thing of note. Uh, is that uh, my Minolta, my newfound Minolta fanboyism um, from a few weeks back is 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 now over, um, and uh, and that's that's because um, I I gave up trying to find a reasonably priced exacta uh, to Minolta MD uh, adapter, um, especially when after a conversation I was having with with Johnny uh, about adapting to Canon uh, and uh, Canon. EF or EOS mount, and uh, uh, which I, I said to him, well, I, I can't make it work on it. It won't. You know, I've got a, a couple of adapters, and they just don't don't work. And uh, Johnny convinced me that um, that I should I should persevere and carry on because I I was of the opinion that it was hitting the mirror, um, or the, the the rear of the lens was hitting the mirror to the point where I can feel it hitting the mirror, Johnny. It is. It's hitting the mirror, <laughs> right, right. and Johnny was having none of it. Um, and ultimately <laughs> quite correctly too um, because uh, he says well I've got this problem with one of mine and that feels like it's hitting the mirror but it's not and yeah. uh, so uh, so yeah so I, I tried a bit harder and and there's if I, I mean this is this is going to be an, an issue with people that adapt to uh, Canon DSLRs uh, in, in general some sometimes uh, the adapters just don't seem to work um, and that was what was going going on with 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 mine. And the, the Johnny's advice was to tape over the contacts. I don't know if you want to go into a bit more detail about what that's all about, Johnny. Uh, about what was what was going on with the issue? You mean, or well, just take what, what's the point of taping over contacts? Oh, uh, oh, oh, right, right, right. Okay, and and I only know this. I don't, you know, I have no special insight on on this other than banging my own head against the wall trying to make it work. Um, and, and assuming the exact same thing as Simon is that, oh, it's, I hear it hitting the mirror and I feel it hitting the mirror when I, when I release the shutter. Um, but I, I realized when I took the, uh, I, what I did is I opened, I, 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 I put the lens on, I put it on bulb, I fired the, the shutter and looked at what was going on inside the shutter box and the mirror was not hitting the lens it was just hung up just so actually, I, just just to clarify yeah. to people listening we are we're talking about an, an eos film camera because um right because you're looking from the back of it uh, right so, i was about uh, to ask yeah. how do you how do you oh, no, okay. you can do it on a digital too you just rip the back of the camera off. Yeah. Work um, <laughs> so yeah in an eos film camera right so i'm looking through the shot so anyway you can look into the into the whole you know mirror box shutter box the whole thing and it was the, the 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 mirror was not hitting the lens it was just hanging up in the where the lens was so what i what i f 
figured out is it was something electrical was going on because there's sensors in there, blah, blah, blah. So I just started taping over areas on the adapter where the sensor would be trying to line up with contacts on the lens, which obviously weren't there. Um, and I finally got it to a point where the shutter was releasing with no problem because the contacts weren't contacting anything. So it, it's, you know, it's just an electrical, I mean, the whole thing with the EOS mount is it's electrical, right? So if something electrical is not lining up, there's a problem and the camera doesn't play nice. Um, so that's the only reason I know is trial and error. Um, and actually the lens I was working with doing this trial and error was the, uh, the Ultron, the, the concave uh, Ultron lens, uh, which one of the few cameras you can easily adapt that to is in EOS. Yeah. So that's how I knew because I, you know, trial and error with that lens. So, I mean, there's 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 a few things that actually I, I should really explain. Um, I wanted to to mount it to the uh, to the EOS. I've got an EOS One N, uh, and that's that's what I actually wanted to mount it to in the first place. And I gave up on it, and that's where um, I went down the Minolta route. Um, but the reason why I'd, I'd prefer to run it on uh, the EOS camera. Um, is is not any specific bias against uh, Minolta there because I'm not particularly a, a Canon uh, fan either, um, and but it's it's a case of I I know that I wanted to do a, a fair bit of wide open shooting, and using a 75 millimeter f 1.5 biotar, um, that's going to involve uh, high shutter speeds if I wanted to shoot wide open in reasonable light conditions. Um, so that that was the reason why that was uh, a particularly attractive uh, camera to use. Plus, I know that it works and it also meters incredibly well. Um, so it, it's just just a just a, a really good camera. Um, but I I found that taping over the contacts didn't work for me uh, at right. all. Um, and uh, I think I tried it with two different adapters. Uh, and because that, that's another thing, it's a case of try another adapter because they do have different designs and some of them are chipped, some of them are not chipped and the mm -hmm. chipped ones give you a focus confirmation, which is you know, it's quite a nice little thing to have. Um, but I, I, I found that neither adapter uh, would, would work for me. Um, so I, I decided to start looking at the uh, how the mount actually works and how the adapter goes onto the uh, onto the camera because I found that it you know I was still having the same problem problem even when the lens wasn't actually attached to the to the adapter so I realized actually no this isn't a lens problem it's a it's a it's an adapter problem mm -hmm. and um, and as I say it, it doing things with the uh with the contacts didn't do anything for me so I, I just looked to see how the how the adapter actually works and just before the point of the adapter locking in place uh there's a there's a there's a contact a physical contact uh on the uh on on the else one end camera and, and it seems to me that different eos cameras have different systems so this is i'm really just talking about this particular camera and i and i realized that um if I because I, I just pressed the contact in, and then tried to uh, take a shot, and it gave me the same problem. So therefore, I realised that if I could actually put the adapter on without making contact with the uh, with this 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 contact, um, then it would actually work. Um, so I found that I could actually take a shot as long as I didn't actually. Um, uh, turn the adapter all the way around into the locking position, and then it would it would fire and it would work normally. So. 
I've not done it yet, but what I what I need to do, I just need to get a, a Dremel or something on 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 the uh, the leading edge of the adapter uh, and just file it off, um, mm-hmm. and so it never actually makes contact with the uh, with with that uh, with that that sensor, and uh, yeah. and then it'll work properly. Um, but one thing that I did find when I was uh, researching this, and it's and there's just Oh, it's, it's a mess. There's just so many uh, different pieces of information out there. Uh, but one of them uh, was, was saying that with the earlier EOS cameras, uh, one of those sensors that you might want to cover over um, had something to do with the depth of field preview. Um, and that mm. itself will cause, cause some, some, some troubles and conflicts. Uh, but apparently in the later cameras, that doesn't apply. And yeah. uh, certainly when I tried it on my uh, Mark One EOS uh uh, 5d um, the technique I used to make it work on uh, the 1n did not work on on the 5d and nor did taping over the, the the contacts either so I can't actually make that lens at this moment work on the 5d not that I'm I really care that much about that but it's just uh, just putting that out there really so I don't know if anybody out there in the, this listening to the show has, has got some definitive uh, answers on how on earth we make things work with uh, Canon DSLRs and uh, and EOS film cameras. I don't know. So w- would it work on five uh, D with a just a dumb adapter without any form of you know one of those ones with no contact whatsoever? Um, I say in my, in my case, it was my my two adapters would not work on on that uh, on my five D for some but, reason. But but did both of your sorry I, I missed that part. Were both of them chipped adapters? No. Actually, oh, okay, you know okay. what? I think you know what? I think actually no. I'm, I'm my memory's not entirely right. Uh, I can't find my chipped adapter, but I've used uh, that. That chipped adapter definitely works on my 5D because I've used it many times with a planar, so that that works. And so I don't actually know if that chipped adapter would. I'm sure I actually tried the chip chipped adapter originally on the one N, and it's since gone missing. Um, but I'm pretty sure I tried it on that, and it didn't work. Uh, but I say I've, I've I found a way of getting around that. Um, with uh, with 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 not putting the set, putting the adapter on fully. Oh, yeah, that's so interesting. Because I mean, I, I still have a five D classic, and um, I, I I kind of gave up on chipped adapters for not exactly the reason you're talking about, but similar you know weird issues. And when I started just using dumb adapters with no just piece of metal, um, everything seemed to be fine. And uh, so I just switched the focus screen. Um, for the manual focus matte screen for the 5D, and it's a really, really nice setup. Um, and it's, it's kind of surprising that if it's a non-chipped adapter that there are still various issues with compatibility. Yeah. Now, you just said something there. So there, there is a manual focus screen for the 5D then, is there? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I think they discontinued it in some of one of the later 5D models, but on the original 5D Classic, you can get interchangeable focus screens. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so very quickly, very early on, I've had that 5D since it, like 2006 or something when it came out. Uh, there, above the, I mean, like any other interchangeable screen, there's a little tab that you oh, can yeah, open no, no, above I, the I'm, mirror. I'm with that. I mean, I've I've got a, a focus screen from a Nikon FE uh, in there. Oh yeah, at the moment, oh, okay, okay. Uh, which which messes around with the exposure. So you have to change the compensation a bit and it's slightly yeah. off center. Um, but I was just under the impression that Canon just didn't make a manual focus um, screen for it. No, they did. And it's sweet and it's, it's necessary because like DSLR screens are not designed for manual focus, right? So it's exactly. like impossible. Um, but this one's beautiful. So what happens with it is 
if your lens is slower than f2.8 max aperture, it gets really dark. Yeah. Uh, so so you really want to be using faster lenses with it, but it's really easy to manual focus. It's it's awesome. Oh, that's cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna have a have a look and find out what the the code number is and start uh, keeping an eye out for one of those. Was I say my my Nikon one works? Yeah, you know, it works. Uh, but like I say, it it has its own uh, its own issues. So uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, nice 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 bit of advice there. I shall take a, take up on that one. So. Uh, so that's uh, that's pretty much um, it from two weeks ago, um, and I think this is actually probably a, a good time just to uh, just do a, a further catch up on uh, last week because we didn't do a show last week as as everybody knows um, there was standing there kicking the sawdust waiting for the show to drop and it didn't happen and uh, and there was a there was a couple of reasons uh, why we didn't get a show out last week uh, because we were going to do one last monday and uh, johnny wasn't feeling great um so we decided to postpone it later in the week um and i was i was up for last monday's show um but we were going to re-record well not re-record we're going to record it on the thursday uh, of last week and by then I, I pulled out of that one because I wasn't feeling too great. Um, and the reason for that was, was what happened the previous Friday um, where I ended up in hospital um, with uh, stroke-like um, symptoms. Um, and it's... Uh, uh, which wasn't much fun, I've, I've got to say, um, as, you, as you might imagine. Uh, because what happened, uh, my wife came home on Friday afternoon and... <clears throat> excuse me and finally just blankly looking at the, the computer monitor which is in itself is is not an unusual thing um, um but uh i i wasn't all there and and, uh, and she was talking to me and it turned out that um i'd pretty much couldn't remember what was going on i knew who i was where i was and all those those kind of things but i didn't actually understand uh, what was actually happening around me to the point where I looked around the room and and things just looked odd and a little bit different from how, how they should be and how they were um, and uh, uh, the good news is uh, Judith my wife she decided well oh, this is probably a good idea to call the the non-emergency uh, number in the UK that's 111 and they advised uh, to take me to hospital which uh, she did and uh, I then uh, was was seen by a doctor and then had uh, loads of uh, scans and tests and things like that CT scan blood scan ECG all that kind of stuff um which all ultimately everything came up uh, um uh, fine uh, not nothing was specifically found and uh, the view was it's just one of those things so uh, they sent me home and uh, I then got a phone call about 10 minutes after getting home saying you need to come back now and uh, so I did, and um, and they, I was met by a stroke doctor um, who uh, informed me that uh, something had been spotted that had been missed by uh, two other doctors, um, and um, uh, you know, he just put to me that I had, um, I'd, I'd had a bleed on the brain and I had a clot on the brain there now, and uh, which um, could either be dealt with by uh basically some aspirin and just dissolve it or possibly have to uh have a an emergency emergency operation that night um so that that wasn't good um because it was one of those situations where you just don't know if you're going to come out of that 
and uh, so uh, had more more tests. Uh, in particular, had a um, another CT test where they uh, put some um, uh, some dye into me and opened up my blood vessels and things like that. And uh, and the result came back, and I knew that it was either going to be drugs or they were going to open me up. And they came back with some aspirin, um, so that was good news. Um, and uh, they said we don't think it's as bad as we thought but we want to make sure and you so you're going to stay in overnight and uh, so um, I was admitted into the, the stroke ward uh, which was not a pleasant place uh, to be as you might imagine um, and uh, and just to, just to top it off I was given a, a, a lovely Covid test um, they stuck these uh, these things down about both nostrils as far as they could possibly go um, and um, yeah so yeah if you don't have to have a uh, covid test don't have one but if you but if you need one um but you've had one as well johnny haven't you yeah i've had four of those four? Oh no <laughs> yeah because because over here each time you go for any sort of invasive procedure they make you get a covid test within 48 hours prior to that procedure and i've had a lot of procedures the past few months so yeah that's no fun no no so yeah we, we're part of the club now um so um yeah so that, that was all done i then had the next day i had a mri scan and uh and then eventually uh, they came back to me and said no it's it's you've not had a stroke um and uh what i had was a, a, a particularly a relatively large blood vessel in in, in my brain um uh, some people probably thought that was my brain, um, but uh, it uh, it turned out that that was uh, uh, it, it was good. And what I actually had, uh, because they'd done all these other tests to work out what I hadn't got, um, so I haven't got epilepsy, I haven't got, uh, I haven't had a stroke, and some other things. Um, I had something called a TGA uh, because at one point I thought I had a TIA, which is like a mini stroke, um, but that didn't happen either. Um, so I had this TGA, and I've forgotten whether the T stands for transient or uh, temporary. But either way, let's call it temporary. And it's a temporary global amnesia. Uh, and I pretty much lost about an hour, maybe an hour and a half of, uh, of, of Friday. Um, and I think I know what, what caused it. And it had something to do with 3D printing. Um, so anybody thinks the 3D printing is dead easy and it's uh, don't it's it's not at times it can be quite stressful um, especially when things go wrong which is what I found out uh, a few days later um, uh, that something had broken on the on the printer and that would have caused a catastrophic fail just when I needed it to, to work and I think that ultimately tipped me over the edge um, and just, uh, just find me looking at the computer thinking what am I going to do next um, so, um, so 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 that was that so it was it's a it was a odd experience um as i say on the, the monday when we were going to do the show um i was totally up for it because i was i was you know very very happy yeah, because um it was it's a, it a bit weird because i've had a and i've said this before to a couple of people i had a near near death experience um because i was never actually in any kind of danger whatsoever um but for a number of hours uh both myself and uh my wife um it was a very real possibility that um something very serious that had happened and something more serious was was potentially could happen that could have actually led to my death or a life-changing uh, uh experience in a bad way and uh so 
came through the other side of it and thought, right, I need to make all these changes with my life and uh, everything that's happy. And then by the middle of the week, I was on that euphoria had gone and uh, I was starting to realise that things aren't as um, easy to change things in your life and so on. And that was the reason why uh, we didn't get a show on uh, uh, on, on Saturday, uh, sorry, on, on Thursday. Uh, but I'm glad to say that things have been are moving on the up because uh, certainly by the that part of the week, I was not particularly that bothered about classic lenses and cameras and things like that. And uh, and then I had a, a little chat with Hamish Gill on the phone, and um, and that changed everything because we that there was you start talking to Hamish and it doesn't take long before you're arguing over things. <laughs> including lenses <laughs> and stuff and uh, and i realized oh I, I am actually interested in these things uh, which is uh, which is which is good so um that was that was my week <laughs> well, i'm just glad to hear that you're okay simon um yeah exactly and i i want to know during this week of you know reflecting and potential uh you know life-changing events and decisions at what point were you tipped over the edge to finally get a haircut? <laughs> that that uh, that that was that was so good. I mean, certainly uh, that that was after we uh, we cancelled Thursday's show. Um, but uh, but no, uh, on Monday I, I just dropped dropped in on the barbers and uh, he, he uh, said, "Yep, we're we're open. Can't get you in straight away," which is not which wasn't news. Um, and uh, yeah, thank heavens, um, I've 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 now had a haircut. And you know, I feel like I can I can move my head from one side to the other, and all my head comes <laughs> with me at the same time, uh, which, which, which is great. I don't like like I'm in some kind of slow motion uh, shampoo video anymore. <laughs> so, so, it, so it was easier for you to uh, get a bunch of hospital treatment at the NHS than it was to get a haircut. Yes, yes, it, it, it was. Um, I've been waiting weeks upon weeks, and even when haircuts were allowed to happen, it still took me days. Yet, um, thanks to the, the wonders of the the British NHS, uh, which I know there's plenty of people in America think it's um, it's a it's a it's an awful thing. Well, you know what? I disagree with that. I think it's absolutely amazing, and I think it's great that we we uh, we get um, we pay for it as as we earn. Um, so it's effectively a, a, a taxed thing because we think of it as free, but it's not free. Nothing's free, um, but it's a case of there is just no way. Um, well, it's, it's it's just a fan, it's a fantastic service. The things that I actually had done to me in 24 hours. Um, yes, things didn't go as right as they should have done right at the start, but you know it was caught. Yeah, the systems are in place, and and that is absolutely the the main the main thing there. And I've I've come out of that knowing that I'm. You know, I'm I'm well. Um, whereas I know that you know in places that are going to be less well off around the world, or some places that are better off potentially, but the, the access to the health service isn't as good. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how how I would have coped or or, or, yeah. or not. You know, because you got these things potentially hanging over you, and yeah, I had the the luxury of within 24 hours of all this starting, I knew exactly what was going on. And uh, the good news is, uh, what happened to me is is quite possibly never going to happen to me again. Um, okay, but it might do. Who 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 knows? But it's a case of uh, it was definitely stress related, and that's a that's a good it's a good warning uh, that I had, and uh, and it's also you know it's 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 that thing that you know, if if those those people are listening, they know that they've got a fair amount of stress in their lives, and they're 
uh, certainly if they're working for themselves and working from home, uh, where it's quite difficult to separate what is work and what is family time. Um, yeah. I've always found that I'm always switched on, um, but in the same way, I'm probably never quite as productive as I could be if I could just switch off the family life, if that makes sense. Mm. So I think really it's about trying to, for me at least, it's about trying to set time up for when I'm meant to be working, when I'm meant to be having family time or whatever, and try to keep those 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 things separate from, from each other because I think I will become a more effective person overall uh, by doing that. Yeah, yeah. Oh man, it's it's so interesting that you that you put it that way, because um, you know I, I when I used to work a corporate job, I felt like I could never switch off, and it was part of sort of what was constantly stressing me out. And when I when I sort of started running my own business here in Hong Kong. I make, I make a really conscious effort that when I'm not working, I'm not even thinking about work. Like if someone emails me or asks me a question, I just ignore it. Um, because otherwise, like it's it's just a constant weight on your shoulders. You know, you're never, your mind is never clear. You're never kind of present and in the moment. And I think if you don't let that happen, like you're just constantly worrying about past and present, uh, sort of past and future. And it just drives you totally crazy. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Yeah, so there we go. That's my week. Uh, <laughs> shall we? Um, shall we? Shall we head head over to uh, to Chicago? Shall we? What, what's happening in your world, Johnny? Uh, not not too much. Um, what's going on here? Um, not too much. <laughs> I'm not gonna. This is Simon's day to talk about his health problems, so I'm not gonna do the same thing because this would just be two old two old men complaining about their health <laughs> which nobody needs to hear so i'll skip all that but i i um my, my big highlight honestly was i got i got out of the house uh uh and actually robbie robbie helped me with that we got out of the house and did a little uh mini walkabout with cameras the other day um so that was pretty cool uh the weather was horrendous like hot and humid but still I uh, got out and got to do some things for a little while. Um, so that was that was my big highlight for the past uh, week or so. Um, other than that, uh, yeah, that was it. <laughs> Sorry. That's all I got, people. <laughs> well then, Perry, how about you? Uh, yeah, I, I've been I've been shooting nonstop. I'm in... Um... I'm four weeks into a six week slog of just six day work weeks. And uh, the government literally right before we started recording has announced um, new COVID prevention measures. Cause we've had a spike. Uh, I think we had 50 something cases today and, and basically the city's freaking out uh, cause it's our largest spike so far. So as of Wednesday, um, I, I don't know. When <laughs> That's the- not a spike. There's a spike <laughs> says all of I Florida. Know. I know I'm kind of sheepish about it because it's like, on the one hand, this is the worst we've had it COVID wise. We had our eighth death today. Um, But this, yeah, I know. On the other hand, I'm like, I'm talking to a dude in America uh, (laughs) and someone in the UK. So I, I, you know, all things considered. It's all relative. Yeah. So, you know, I have been, I've been out shooting uh, nonstop with, with my girlfriend and um, so much so that I'm going to basically list the stuff I've been shooting with and doing, and then you guys can choose what you think is interesting to talk about because otherwise it's going to take ages. 
I got a Barnack camera called a Nikka, which is awesome. On that, I have been shooting that stupid Avanon lens, uh, which I had to take apart twice and take a file to in order to get it to work. Uh, I shot some Vision 3500T with an 85B filter on a Sumerit. I shot some Cinestill on a Mamiya 645 with an ultra-fast lens. Um, I've been shooting with like a bunch of Canon lenses, which are we've talked about those before. And I have this sweet Insta- Instax camera that I have also uh, picked up and is awesome. I've so. got to, I've got to say that Instax camera. Uh, I've seen the picture of it and thinking, what what's going on there? I mean that that looks absolutely fantastic. Yeah. So let me, let me show you this. This is this is this is awesome. So um, I picked up from the guy who actually modifies these. Uh, there, there's a there's quite a few of them in Hong Kong, but this guy um, he. He made himself a new one with interchangeable Mamiya press lenses. So he sold me his original one for cheap. And so what you see in, on the screen uh, is an Instax Wide 300. Um, and Instax Wide is, the film is significantly larger uh, than Instax Mini and Instax Square. It's like maybe quadruple the size of Instax Mini. Um, so to me, is doing it, this kind of modif- is, is that in length or is that in area? oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, you don't have I don't to know. answer that no 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 please don't answer that <laughs> i have i have i have frames around i could have just grabbed them yeah. um so what he's done with this camera is he's done a bunch of different mods but basically on the front is a mamiya uh 100 millimeter f 3.5 lens from a mamiya press camera uh in pristine condition and then it is attached to the uh, camera via helicoid, uh, just a standard 58mm helicoid, on which he has meticulously carved distance markings. Um, and he gave me a pro tip if I ever want to change this lens, that if you just use an empty Instax cartridge and put like a matte piece of paper, piece of glossy, matte, glossy. Matte. Mat. What are those? Matte, yeah. Matte piece of paper on the uh, empty co- empty Instax box, then that, that'll get you the film plane pretty much perfectly. Um, yeah, so he's carved distance markings, markings into this, um, and it, it's, it's so cool. So the way it works is basically you just fire the leaf shutter uh, for your exposure, and then you turn the camera on and press the, the button, and it just spits out the film. Um, yeah, this is really cool. I'm, 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 I'm a little bit confused because the Mamiya um, press lenses... Yeah. Um, I thought they all had their own helicoid built into them anyway. Yeah, that's been removed. Right, okay, that explains it. Yeah, it's just the shutter and the optics and the aperture. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you could put any, like, synchro comp or copal shutter, uh, any leaf shutter lens, basically, um, you could put on this for the same setup. Yeah, I'm I'm guessing it, it's, it was that the, the helicoid that was part of the lens probably just got in the way of the, yes. uh, the 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 method of actually getting it to fit to the camera, so uh, so they went with an yeah. aftermarket version instead. Exactly. So I see that that's been removed, and he's put a little kind of metal bit to to block out the part he's cut, and it's basically on a fifty-eight to thirty millimeter conversion ring, which is then just screwed onto this helicoid. Yeah, and and then the helicoid is where the distance markings go. So I've been using um I've been using a water meter to get focus distance. It's super super accurate. Uh, and it's just, you know, handheld light meter for, you just use like a film camera. I mean, it's, it's mm-hmm. fantastic. Yeah. And the results are awesome. I mean, like 
you know, Instax is a really nice instant film, but the lenses are just these crappy plastic things. So to get the true potential of that film, I mean, you just put a real lens on it. It's beautiful. So, so what is the equivalent focal length of, of that lens on Instax? Um, that's a good question. Uh, wait, wait one second. Let me grab, let me grab one of the pieces of film. It's right next to me. Okay. So put my headphones back on the Instax wide. Uh, it looks pretty much like a six by nine size ish. Mm-hmm. Um, Instax mini by comparison is this big. Yeah. which is the most common I, one. I, t- I take it you, you, you don't have a tape measure. Oh. Oh, no, I do right here. Ah, you can, <laughs> I can measure it. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, okay. So, Instax, well, I, we can also just Google this, which would be much quicker than me using a tape measure. Uh, but it is uh, nine, it's about 10 centimeters long, just under like 98 millimeters long. And around 60, 62 millimeters high. Yeah, so around six by nine, a little bigger than six by nine. Yeah, it says, yeah. So, so it's a normal lens. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And, and we used 100 millimeters because I think, I think the standard lens on this is like a 90 or something. So the viewfinder is approximately correct, although parallax does become an issue up close because yeah. um, it's, it's pretty severe. Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's, you probably can't see, but you know, you got like proper bokeh in these pictures, you know, and like the colors and the tones and just the sharpness. It's beautiful. I've I've got to say, this is the the first time that Instax has actually had any kind of appeal for me. Um, Actually, that's not entirely true, but I've, I've seen some setups where people have managed to adapt Instax to say a Hasselblad or something like that, um, mm-hmm. which that, that, that appeals enormously to me as well. Um, but yeah, just the normal Instax cameras, Instax cameras. Oh no, no, I'm no far from being a fan of those. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, Cause I mean, they're fun to play with, but the results are always crap. Yeah. And so they're just like a party thing. Um, on this version, the, the flash works as well. You can, you can use a cable and, and it'll sync with the shutter. So you can use a proper flash on here because the built-in one doesn't work. Yeah. Well, that, well that's the other thing. Actually, just trying to get the exposure right with, with Instax as well. That, that's, that seems to be a bit of a dark art in itself. So that seems to be working a bit more normally then, does it, with, with, for you? Yeah, I, ju- I just treat it like ISO 800 film because that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and overexpose it by like half a stop. So I'll just use a my handheld light uh, meter and take an instant. But, but that's the point. You've got full control. Whereas on, on a, a normal Instax, you don't have that level of control at all, do you? The, the, the exposure is yeah. going to do whatever the camera's t- going to do. You can't shut your shutter speed on a conventional Instax, can you? No, no, no. The, the, yeah. That's why they're a pain in the ass. There's like a exactly. light and a dark button. So you can make it like high key or low key, but you have no idea exactly. what it's actually doing. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, so. That's good. This is, it's, you know, I I think if I were to do this again, he didn't have one modified for it, but I think Instax Square may be the ideal format to do this kind of mod because Instax Mini is pointless because the film is so small. Hmm. This Instax Wide, it's beautiful, the results, but the camera is freaking huge. (laughs) 
this thing is massive. This is like the size of my head. Yeah. Right. Well, it, well uh, yes, yes, and no. I mean, it's, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not truly enormous. But so, is it, is it covering the whole of the of of the film? Is the image yeah. circle? Yeah. So you do well. There you go. Then that's what you want. Then don't. Yeah. If you put it. Yeah. yeah. There's there's a tiny bit of vignetting uh, wide open um, at infinity, but it's just like a little bit in the corners that's barely noticeable. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, it totally covers. It's it's really nice. Yeah. So, and, and and he said you can make it work with pretty much. He's tried it with like wide angle, um, large format lenses, um, and it works. He's I think he's the widest he's used is like forty or fifty or something, um, and he's gotten that to work. So I was going to say that that's that's seriously wide for for large format anyway in itself. I mean, yeah, not, yeah, yeah, there aren't many that are going to be wider than forty seven mil. Uh, right, uh, I, th- I think it was a forty seven. There's a Schneider forty seven yeah. comp or something. That's the one he was using. Yeah, being an ang- angulon uh, of some description. Right. Yeah. yeah, he he um he's got a he's got a Heliar from a Bessa two on his on his other copy right now. Nice. Uh, which looks pretty sweet. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's super cool. I, I, I used, um, I don't have any film left for it, so I need to buy more film before I can actually use this thing. Awesome. Oh, let me put that away. Um, yeah, other than that, I mean, I, oh, I really can't wait to go and shoot this thing properly. Um, and you know, it was, it was weird because there were a bunch of random people in the park where he was just showing me sort of how to use this camera. Um, and we just like walked, started walking up to them and and taking their portraits, like this old dude sitting on a bench. And there was something about having a giant camera where we were clearly just dicking around. Um, that made these kind of people let down their guard when it came to this kind of street shooting, which was, which was kind of a neat experience too. Yeah. Uh, so Perry, you've been shooting your Nika too, yeah? Yeah, uh, this camera arrived a couple of weeks ago, and I, I'd never heard of it until, well, thanks to you and uh, how do I pronounce his name, Herson Thelion. Is that correct? Well, it's it's how it's spelled, so it's good enough for me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. No, no, no. This this camera that you guys uh, mentioned in some thread in our Facebook group. Uh, is basically my dream Barnack, which is basically a Leica 3F with a swinging out door so I don't have to cut the stupid leader uh, to load film. So I ordered this camera from eBay Japan because when you guys were posting about it, there was just a beautiful copy. It arrives in about a week, and I've been shooting it nonstop. But, uh, I mean, it's just a Barnack, so there's nothing really particularly special to say about it other than my... Oraco filter or Okaro filter also fits perfectly uh, on its viewfinder, so that's that's very convenient. Uh, for those who don't know what that is, an Oraco and an Okaro are basically like an orange filter that goes onto the window of a Barnack Leica to increase the contrast of the rangefinder patch. Um, one of the lenses that I decided to shoot on this uh, is the... Avanon 28mm f3.5, which I have previously dissed, uh, but never actually shot. So I'm going to diss it some more. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> this lens is so frustrating because it's tiny, it's light. It, 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 on paper, it's just a perfect, beautiful 28 millimeter lens um, that turns a camera into like a point and shoot size setup. But man, this thing, first of all, mine was like mid condition. It looked perfectly new. So I, I didn't want to do what I had to do to it, but it wasn't focusing properly. Um, it, it was, first of all, just like the focus was way off. So I took it apart and I removed one of the shims inside. And then the, perf- uh, the focus was fine after that. Except below one and a half meters, uh, it wouldn't focus properly. Because between one and a half meters and one meter, the rangefinder cam, it suddenly slowed down. And the rate of focus just like slowed to a crawl. And it was way off at that distance. And so I took it to a repair guy and he was like, uh, there's nothing I can do about this. It probably came out of the factory like this and I'm not touching that. So I went home and I spent ages trying to figure out why the hell is this thing uh, not focusing properly? Like it focuses fine from infinity to one and a half meters and then below one and a half meters, it just all goes to crap. I thought maybe the, the cam is cut wrong. Maybe I have to, to you know put tape on it. Turns out, it turns out that there is this other metal baffle that's around the rear element of the lens. And it sticks out uh, below one and a half meters. And it sticks out just enough that it touches the cam. And so the back of the lens is not engaging with the camera. It's this stupid piece of black metal that is protecting the rear element that's engaging with the, the camera below one and a half meters. So I took the camera apart, uh, t- took the lens apart again. And I'm trying to see if I can move this stupid thing and i can't because um two of the screws are in so tight that i'm basically stripping them when i'm trying to to remove it so i gave up on that and in a fit of rage at this stupid lens i took out a file and i just put the damn thing on uh, on minimum focus and i for like an hour i just sat there and filed down this metal and filed it down until it was level with the cam uh and then it was perfect so the, the focus on this lens is now perfect, uh, even though there's a big-ass piece of the metal that's filed down at the back now, um, which I may have to paint because I don't know if that's the, the exposed metal is reflecting uh, light now. Because <laughs> a, a lot of my shots in, in bright sunlight, there's like a weird glow at the bottom of the frame, and I wonder if that's the, the rear of the lens reflecting. Uh, <laughs> could be. Because it was black originally. And now it's like bright, bright silver metal. Um, so, but anyway, I got it to focus properly and I went out and I shot a bunch with it. And it is, in practice, fairly fun to shoot. Um, and then I got the results. So the good news with this lens is F, at F11, it's really nice. <laughs> it's very sharp. Um, and everything is beautiful at F11. Below F5.6, around F4 and at the... Uh, at the max aperture of f3.5, it's trash. It looks like some pinhole lamography, like, garbage. And I know other people have this lens and have the same experience of it. Like, Mike Epstein has this lens, and his is exactly the same. There's nothing wrong with mine. But below f5.6-ish, the center, like, wide open, is beautifully sharp. And it, it pops. It's, like, it's really nice. But the center is, like, this much of the frame if you're looking at my webcam. And then anything beyond this much of the frame, it turns into crap. Um, 
And so I have this picture of the front of a church where people are walking past this like sliver of light. And I focused on the gate. So it's, it's flat, right? Because church walls are not curved as far as I know. Um, the gate is really sharp, like right in the center. And then the edges where the people are walking and like the windows of the church, they're, they look like they're bokeh, but they're on the same plane of focus. Uh, so it, it sucks. Now, the only kind of picture that I think this excels at is really up close, 28 millimeter, uh, wide open shots with a bit of shallow depth of field. Because then the crappiness of the edges kind of obscures, is obscured by the shallow depth of field and it almost accentuates it. Um but yeah, I mean, that's frustrating, right? Because you'd think a 28mm f3.5 lens would not suck. Uh, would not be like a, a bokeh lens. But that's what it is. <laughs> just my Avanon rant. I know you guys don't care about this lens, but like, you know, it, it takes something <laughs> to, I mean, it file to a mint condition, relatively rare lens um, just to get the damn thing to focus. And then the results look like that. Jeez. Wow. Not good. I was there was something that actually did interest me what you were saying there uh, um and and that was the when you were talking about uh, being uh, it's 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 a barnack style but not a barnack and therefore you didn't have to trim the leader yes and i'm just curious now as to what it is about the barnack style cameras as to what makes it that you have to trim the leader and what did they do to change that when they went over to the, uh, well, in the case of Leica with the M-mount, but in the case of uh, these, these, it's it's not specifically anything to do with the M-mount, is it? It's, it's to do with the no. mechanism, what's going on at the back of the camera. Yeah, so it's it, this is why. Because behind, when you have the Barnack and the back doesn't swing open, then the film pressure plate is always in place and it doesn't go out of the way, mm -hmm. Right. And what you need is for the uh, the top perforations of the film to engage with the sprockets on both sides. Yeah. yeah. Um, and when you push the film up um, without the back open, then basically when it touches the sprockets at the top, it kind of like it bends. Okay. Right. Because you have to kind of get it up and over the sprocket in order to engage. Right. Yeah. And so w without the, the back swinging open, you can't do that very easily unless you do some stupid tricks like put it on bulb and use your fingers from the Ooh, front or no, use a no, 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 no. yeah or, or use um some people use a business card yeah to kind that's, of, that's amateur hour that's right that's totally wrong right so if you don't do that then what happens so so by cutting the leader what happens is um the film doesn't need to engage when you're loading it because it just starts on this end uh and then once you start advancing it then it just advances smoothly across and engages the sprocket hmm. So that's why the swing back is essential if you don't want to cut the leader. Um, and that's why that's a Barnack-style camera that I'm actually going to use because even though I have loads of Barnack cameras and I love all of them, I hate loading film into those things. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's the reason why. It's a beautiful, wonderful, lovely camera. And when you get your Yashica thingy back, uh, you should you should cherish it for precisely that reason. Yeah, that, that's it. I've, I've had for some time a, a Yashica uh ye which is also co-branded as uh, with, with nika um which i think is i think it's actually the last of the nika line of cameras um, mm -hmm. i don't i think the name disappeared af after that one and it's a quite an odd looking camera 
Um, it's it, it's squared off in places. It, it sort of looks a bit like an M camera, um, but it's it, it shares a lot of things with... Um, well, it's, it's sort of Barnaki as well. Uh, or is it actually? No, it's... No, it's just a weird camera, <laughs> but it's got that. It's got the uh, it, the same kind of system to load as a as an M camera. Um, so mm. you, yeah, the back doesn't swing open it uh, fully. Um, it's just got this this uh, this window that op- opens up, and you still load it from the from the base of the camera. Um, yes, yeah. it's, it's it's a really it's a well. I've said this before. I really like. Uh, um, rangefinder cameras. I just don't like taking photos with them. Um, so I'm I'm looking forward to this coming back and having having a play with it. Uh, it just looks it's you know it's got a, it's got an enormous shutter button on it for, for for what it is as well. I don't know why, but that that actually makes me like the camera even more. Um, so um, so yeah, it's, I, I guess it's just a reminder. This is a camera, um, and I can actually take pictures with it. So uh, right. Well, I think enough of that. Um, so we got came dangerously close to talking uh, more about rangefinders and rangefinder lenses and things like that. So let's do the emails. And uh, Perry, you're on duty this week. So uh, do you want to take it away? Okay. So from the top, uh, the first one here was sent by heritagecameras.co.uk uh, on June the 30th. And the subject is Central Camera Company Memorabilia. So uh, this is from Dave Perlman, uh, Perman at Heritage Cameras. He says, hi, chaps. I just came across these Central Camera Company of Chicago since 1899 catalogs from the 1930s to the 1950s. And then there's a link to uh, butkus.com.org. Uh, this period was slightly before my time, but there's some interesting old stuff in there. I particularly like the sound of Flemish gold toner, charcoal black paper, and no grain developer. Enjoy. Regards, Dave Pierman, Heritage Cameras. Be like Carl. May the Malort be with you, etc. <laughs> okay. Have you guys looked at this link? Yeah, I, Go on, Johnny. I mean, I, I'm, I'm familiar with the, <clears throat> with the, the butt kiss. Um, catalogs they're a good source for for those they have quite a few of them we had all the hard copies of these at central camera but i'm assuming they all burned up uh so yeah that's a that's a good source and they're interesting because they have a lot of old prices in them um and you it's it's kind of cool to compare prices of different things Mm. back in the day uh flemish gold toner as far as i know is still around um that that was a really common, common one, um, and no grain. I'm trying to remember what no grain is, but it has a. There's a. Uh, it's not. Oh shoot! What is it? It's um, the stuff that smells good. <laughs> the good smelling developer, uh, Simon. You were talking about it not that long ago, actually. R- the, su- the soup. No, the super fine grain. Oh um. Oh, not Perceptol. The other one, Microfan. Microfen. I think it's basically the same as Microfen. Yeah. Um, but I can't remember. Anyway, yes, those are very interesting. Definitely worth it checking them out. Cool. All right. Uh, thank you for that, Dave Pearman. Uh, next email. This is from Christopher Brandt. Oh, and almost, it was sent- almost not quite Christopher. Oh, Christer. Christer Brandt. Christer. Uh, also sent on June the 30th. Subject, thank you. 
And Christopher says, hi, guys. Longtime listener, first time writer. I'm on episode 101, Malort Challenge, catching up on my backlog backwards. First off, I'd like to thank you again for the very entertaining and sometimes educational, <laughs> all times gas generating podcast. I have the auto reflex thanks to Johnny and my eyes open for a good deal on a Contax S2 thanks to Perry. But hey, I'm not even that much into lenses. I'm more into the cameras. This Malort thing has made me incredibly curious about how bad the Chicago oil can be. After all, it generates from a Swede and we know our liqueurs. Maybe this guy lacks some skills. I'd like to give Johnny a kick in the butt and send him over to the post office. I will do so uh, by, instead of coffee, sending you three, each a bottle of the Swedish stuff. Uh, Baska Dropar. I'm sure I butchered that pronunciation. Uh, that I had on a face cast a couple weeks ago and re in return, hopefully get a little bottle of Jepsons because I really want to know how bad it is, if it's bad at all, winky face. And of course, I will do like Mr. Gutterman and drink it in front of a camera. If you're up for a little comparison challenge, just let me know. Cheers slash Krister Brandt. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm going to guess that <clears throat> the Jepsons Malort from, uh, I think that came out originally in the <clears throat> 1930s or something. Uh, probably bears no relation whatsoever to anything from Sweden. That's just a guess. Right, because all the Swedes who tell us about their versions of Malort, right. uh, they, all, they all enjoy it. Yeah, right, exactly. And I think this is basically, you know, you were working the night shift at the slaughterhouse, and it's 6 a.m., and you want to just get drunk off your ass. Um, so you walk out of the slaughterhouse and you walk across the street to the bar and you probably just buy the cheapest ass, you know, liquor you can, you can get. It probably tastes just fine. If you're dripping with, you know, pig blood and feces, it probably tastes pretty good. It probably tastes so much like the pig blood and feces. You wouldn't notice is my guess. Oh, so I'm thinking, you know, 1930s slaughterhouse, blah, blah, blah. That's probably why it tastes the way it tastes. I, I thought it might well, have something to do with prohibition or something like that, and uh, it would they, people were allowed to have it because they knew that well, people wouldn't drink it. Yeah, it could, it could, it could be. I know that, um, for instance, um, oh, what's it called? The, my favorite scotch uh, was labeled as medicinal. Um, <laughs> you know the stuff that tastes like burnt tires. Uh, help me out here guys it, it, it sounds like a pt malt but i don't like pt malt so yeah it's, it's, the, it's the pt it tastes like iodine and burning tires yeah. uh lefroig um which i actually really like lefroig but it tastes like iodine and burning tires so they and seaweed so basically you could get that prescribed to you by a doctor apparently during prohibition because it didn't taste like any sort of alcohol basically um, and I'm guessing that the Malort was probably the same kind of deal. That it didn't taste, it, it tasted more like something medicinal versus something you would ever want to drink willingly. So <laughs> that's, that's my guess. Well, Christopher's volunteered to, uh, to try so he can, he can, you know, report firsthand. 
Yeah. But, oh yeah. Here, here we go. Wait, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the Malort history website. It says, you know, prohibition begins in 1920, and then Carl Jepsen begins producing his uh, something Swedish where Baskevarnen, a traditional Swedish style of bitters, and sells it as a quote medicinal product that rid its imbibers of stomach worms and other parasites of the body. <laughs> so that, that going to my slaughterhouse theory, you've just been, you've been killing pigs all day. And if you want to make sure that you didn't pick up a parasitic infection, you go have three mugs of beer and a Malort. And that would probably take care of that. So yeah, Jepson skirts federal regulations given to the recurring conclusion by law enforcement that nobody would drink his concoction <laughs> recreationally. So there you go. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> um, on, the, on the camera part of this email, uh, I, I was wondering the whole exacta to a Minolta thing. Um, would it, would it be, make more sense or be a better experience to shoot those exacta lenses on a Konica auto reflex instead? Uh, I did, did consider that. And, and the, the, that. Yeah. yeah, and the, there are. There is um, an adapter. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's far more reasonably priced. Um, yeah. but I think that's because nobody really wants to shoot on the Konica camera. Uh, I wouldn't blame them, except if it's a Konica Auto Dash Reflex, not that other that later crappy stuff. Yeah. So, what is it about the Auto Dash Reflex? Because I still don't have a camera I can shoot my Schneider Zenon on properly, except my. Stupid it would, exactly. it would, yeah. I'm sure. I think I actually, I might have that adapter. No, I don't have it. I'm thinking of the one again that was at Central Camera that I'm sure burnt up. Um, but the, so apart from being able to shoot half frame, like how's the finder on the auto reflex, auto dash reflex? It's beautiful. I mean, the uh, it's 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 ni- it's nicer than a ni- it's nicer than the original Nikon F, and probably built it, it just as well. So. Ooh. I, I the finder's finder is really nice on it and it's just a beautiful camera. And it doesn't have any of the silly auto well, I mean it does actually. It does have an auto setting, but not, not priority, right? Yeah, but not not at the same implementation as the later stuff on the T threes and all that, which are not the same camera at all. It's 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 extraordinarily well well constructed. So cool. Okay, so that's yeah. I've been looking at that option, but but I've never actually held that camera, and I don't have any Minolta's. So worth a try. And I mean, the part of the the reason the reason is it has a shorter flange distance, so it's one. Yeah, of the exactly. Two. Yeah. So. Okay. Cool. Uh, thank you for that, Christer. All right. Next email is from uh, Robert N. Clinton, sent on July first, Canada Day. Uh, subject: Another listener who refuses to use face crook. And Robert says, greetings, Simon, Johnny, and Perry. I am a longtime listener to your wonderful podcast, who, like Barry Carr, I hope his name is spelled correctly. Uh, Yes, it is. Who has long refused to use Face Crook or any of its properties, including Instagram. Accordingly, your decision to rely primarily on Face Crook to support the community has also excluded me from participating in any fashion. I therefore second Barry's suggestion to move somewhere else that is less controversial and perhaps more open source, more inclusive and less commercial. Your disenfranchised fan, Bob Clinton. P.S. As a frequent customer of Central Camera when I lived in Chicago for over four years ago, I wish Johnny and the Central Camera crew the best in rebuilding. 
Signed, Robert N. Clinton, Chief Justice, Hopi Court of Appeals, Chief Justice, Winnebago Supreme Court, and many other justice positions. Yeah. Cool. Um, I've, well, I've got one, one thing to say on that, because since Barry Carr um, sent that, well, we actually eventually got around to reading Barry, Barry's email out, um, uh, he referenced uh, the Sunday 16 uh, podcast and they have a discord group um, and I decided well I'll, I'll join it um, so uh, I'm now part of the Sunday 16 discord group um, and it's um, yeah it's it's nice there's a few people on there that I was able to talk to that I know of that aren't on Facebook so that that's that's definitely a positive um, but the 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 just the general downside is you know you, you compare the activity that goes on and this is my issue that i've got um you look at the 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 volume of activity that is going on say just within our our relatively small uh facebook group and compare that to what's going on in discord um and it's far more vibrant in 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 facebook and and i think that's always going to be the, the the issue because i i i like to be able to be able to walk away um from 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 stuff including in facebook and groups and things like that whereas in discord i sort of feel like i need to actually be there more um and certainly if we had actually had our own server um then i would certainly feel more obliged to to be checking in on that more so than i perhaps i do in the the, in the facebook groups which for me will be self-defeating um but i'm there and i think that uh I don't. I don't see anybody else wanting to specifically set up a Discord group just for our group. And there's a similar kind of uh, group that already exists. Okay, it's more it's more film based than, than than we are, but we're pretty pretty film based um, as it is. Um, so I would, I guess, put a shout out for anybody who wants to talk to. Well, I'll, I'm I'm there um, occasionally, um, and that's the Sunday Sixteen Discord group. And to gain access to it, because it's a bit weird actually gaining access to these groups, you need to go to the Sunday Sixteen uh, podcast um, web page, and uh, there's a, somewhere in there there's a link. Um, and I think that link has to get updated as well. So it's it's not the easiest thing to actually get get involved in. But if you, uh, I think, actually ended up having to Google uh google search the uh, assuming you're okay using google um or use duck duck go, duck, duck go perhaps um and um <laughs> and and search for uh, sunday 16 discord and i think that way you'll be able to find the uh, the link to be able to take part in their server so uh so come on in the water's nice um that's uh that might be another place and who knows if more of us get over there then it, it, it might actually um become vibrant enough for us if you if you like cool all right okay uh moving on <laughs> i have nothing to add to that i <laughs> i kind of agree with what you say facebook sucks but it's it's where everything is um all right uh next qu- email the last two are quite short uh this is from Mark Reeves, sent on July 9th. So we're, we're getting into recent emails. And subject is rangefinder-based question to annoy Simon. <laughs> Hello, chappies. Discovered the show thanks to the ad Mr. Forster puts in packets of rear lens caps. 
very enjoyable well in the wilds of the capital of Australia, of Canberra. I've, 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 I've got to say, some people say, do, do, yeah, do, doing the podcast, does that help your business? No, but my business helps the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, and he asks, anyway, have any of you managed to mount a mid-50s Opton Biogon 21 4.5 to anything other than a contacts? Uh, Kiev or Nikon RF, not an appropriate answer. Arse end too long for screw or M-mount Leicas on an otherwise functional adapter and much too long for my tiny Olympus with the contacts to M39 and then an M39 to M43, uh, micro four thirds. Getting a bit too blind for the contacts to viewfinder. Cheers, Mark. Uh, I, I can answer this because I have this lens. Um, do either of you? Mm, nope. Nope. Uh, so the 21 4.5 Biogon, I don't think it's labeled Opton Biogon, um, although I think it's made in Oberkoch, and I think they're all just, I could be wrong about that. Eric's probably yelling at it at me right now. Um, okay, so the deal with this lens is it will fit on the adapter, as you know, uh, and on a lot of the M cameras, it will actually mount. Um, but there's this, the rear baffle, there's this thing on the back of the lens that protects the rear element. It's the weird cutout bit that spins. Um, and when you put that inside a contacts camera, it basically holds the, I mean, you have a contacts too, so you know what I'm talking about. I, I don't know how to describe this to people who don't have a contacts too, but basically there's this bit that moves around, but then once it, once it's mounted, it doesn't move and it sits inside the rear part of the camera. That part sticks out way too far. So you have to remove it if you want to mount that thing onto, uh, an M mount camera. So I have seen people successfully put this onto a Minolta CLE. Uh, and I think it will work on some Leica M cameras, but not others. And I can't remember which. So uh, maybe look it up and, and do it at your own risk. But it's not going to rangefinder couple because the inside of the lens is going to push the uh, rangefinder arm in the camera too far back. But you should be able to mount it and use it as a scale focus lens in at least a Minolta CLE because there's a bit more space. Uh, don't put it on, you know, anything with with tighter baffles on the inside, like some of the Voigtlanders or Canons. Um, but yeah, you have to remove the 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 thing on the back. You, you'll know what I'm talking about if you have this lens. It's basically because the rear element sticks out, sort of like a Jupiter 12 ish thing. But then there's this piece of metal that protects it, so that you don't like scratch it every single time you mount the lens. Um, take that off, and then and then you might be good to go. But I. Would I be right in thinking you can you could mount that onto Sony full frame or any other full frame uh, digital camera? Oh yeah, I put it on my Sony, no problem. Yeah, it works great. Yeah, yeah. So it's a, yeah because he's talking about his tiny Olympus, which um, and and he mentions micro four thirds, and and that's just simply a case that the, the um, there's a uh, shroud around the sensor uh, that's, yeah. that that sits proud of the sensor. And um, and that will get interfered with with this this protruding bit at the back, uh, which, yep. which which stops it. And then it's a similar kind of problem with um, APS-C cameras as well. But uh, full yeah. full frame cameras, I don't know if it applies to all full frame cameras, but certainly to Sony. And I don't see why uh, the Nikon Z or the, uh, the 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 Canon full frame mirrorless. I can't see that either of those having a, a problem with these. It's just getting the adapters is probably a little bit harder for those. For the two newer cameras, I've not actually looked to see if, uh, but I'm sure that somebody in uh, 
in Ukraine or uh, or the or, or Russia are probably making adapters as as we speak for uh, for the for the newer the newer mirrorless cameras. I mean, you can always just stack it on an old Kiev adapter. Oh, that's Kiev pretty much like, what I mean, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then and like LTM and and M mount to the new mirrorless; those are easy to find. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it works. It works fine on full frame. Just watch watch the edges because they can get kind of weird. Because you know. Um, the Jupiter 12, for example, it will not fit on a Fuji, right? Because the rear element will smash. Uh, that's a it's a controversial subject that one, um, because um, some people swear that it goes on and it's no problem at all, and other people say, "Oh no, it doesn't." And then you get the people who are in between that 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 Carl used to be. They're saying, "Well, it's fine on on a, on a warm day when you can bend the plastic around the surround back, and then you can get infinity." Alternatively, I use he would he would use the uh, um, the increased depth of field because who's going to be shooting close to infinity at 2.8 with that kind of lens it just doesn't make sense so you can probably uh, just wind back the focus a little bit so it's not actually um, touching the surround of the sensor and have it stop down to f8 like you would do a, you know for a proper shot uh, with that kind of lens and uh, you will you will still get infinity because of uh, uh, the hyperfocal distance so yes you can but sort of you can't if that makes sense Okay, I've never tried my Jupiter 12 on a Fuji because uh, it's not worth it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but <laughs> but but if the Jupiter 12 will uh, if the Jupiter 12 will smash uh, onto a camera, this this contact will definitely smash as well uh, if you don't take the rear baffle off. Yeah, great lens though, freaking amazing lens. Yeah. Okay. Uh, final email is from Vaughn Bromfield. Subject. Uh, this was sent on July 12th, so just yesterday on Sunday. Subject, what's with Johnny Sisson's voice on number 121, Blooming Nick Lyle? And Vaughn says, hello, has Johnny been inhaling helium on this podcast? Love your work. Regards, Vaughn. We didn't really give a, a particularly good explanation for what happened uh, in, in, in that show. Um but uh, Johnny, perhaps you can give a, a full explanation of, and uh, just, yeah, people want to know. They need to know. He has unmuted himself, but there is no sound. Perhaps he is Hello? trying to ah, activate. Oh. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, it was Perry's fault. That's the short answer. Okay, well, we can move on. Um. <laughs> should, should, we, should we actually explain what happened? I think it's pretty funny. Yeah, come on. We need to. Do you want me to explain, since it's apparently my fault? Yeah, I, I, I didn't look like Johnny's going to help out on this one. So, yeah, go on. Let, let, uh, put, uh, put Vaughn out of his misery on that. Okay, so uh, around, I think, a week... Uh, a couple of days before we were due to record, uh, I, I think Johnny had like lost his voice or, or his voice was um, a little hoarse. And so I jokingly sent him a link and I said, don't worry about it, just use this. Uh, and I sent him a link to a celebrity voice uh, emulator plugin for Google Chrome. And when we went to record, we were doing our pre-recording chat with Nick Lyle and 
every time Johnny spoke, it sounded like Eric Cartman was, you know, on the other end of the line. And so it turns out that he actually uh, foolishly took my advice and downloaded this plugin and was just unable to figure out how to either disable or change the settings on it. So after about half an hour of laughing at, at Johnny's newfound vocal prowess, we just decided, screw it, we'll do the show and pretend like nothing is up. And uh, that's why it sounds like Johnny was huffing helium for the entire entirety of last episode. Uh. Johnny, are you there? Knock, knock on the microphone if you're there. Hello. Oh, now you're back. Okay. Um, yeah, I was gonna just leave that as a permanent thing, but I, I don't even, I can't remember where the app is now. So. <laughs> oh, I know it's on the other computer. That's why. I did it on the other computer. So, um, yeah. We'll do it again sometime. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, on on that note, I think uh, we'll start to wrap wrap things up. So, is, are there any other things that we want to talk about before we disappear? No. Nope. I'll, take, I'll take that as a no. Okay, so, uh, first thing, I want to say thank you to those people... Uh, that have donated to us and in particular those people that donated to us during the month of June uh, because uh, all donations during June um, are going to go across to uh, the fund for central camera and to help get it back on its feet and we've gone and talked about that enough times now um, so that is uh, that's going to happen and i'm glad to say yeah we did ask people to donate directly if if they would if they could um but we have raised 42 pounds so uh thank you very very much uh to all those people that have uh, donated in uh, in in june and um since we're talking about coffee um let's just say thank you to those people uh since last time um and that's confused me now uh so went out on the 29th last time so people that have donated since then are Lawrence Dunt thank you very much Lawrence uh, James Thorpe Brian Woolworth and Christopher J May um, so uh, thank you uh, for uh, there's no comments in there either so uh, so but thank you very much for help, helping us along and uh, and again thank you for those people who donated to us in June and uh, that money will be going off to uh, central camera very very shortly um okay so shall we do shout outs perry oh do i have any shout outs i don't think i have any shout outs i'm good okay how about, how about you johnny i do hold on i have one shout out i just have to find it real quick here uh i have a shout out for <clears throat> Uh, let's see, where is this here? Just looking for the order. Oh, oh, okay, yeah, here we go. For Mr. Luke Samuel Matthew Green on the Isle of Wight, who is the proud owner of the very first Bokake camo ball cap, uh, which should be delivered, it looks like, this week. It was, it was sent, so it could be, could be on your head as soon as tomorrow or the next few days walking around the Isle of Wight scaring people with your Bokake camo 
<laughs> Ball cap. So thank you very much for that order, Mr. Luke Samuel Matthew Green. Um, you are my new hero. <laughs> we, by, by the way, <laughs> by the way, on these ball caps, if you want to order one, um, Classic Lenses podcast makes a profit of a dollar and ninety-five cents. So we do this really purely for your benefit. We we really make nothing on them. So, um, so we're we're doing it purely for your own enjoyment. So everybody should get one, knowing that you're supporting a worthy cause. And uh, really, we need. We need to get a a matching. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to say the word. Well, I get it wrong, but then face face masks as well, so we can wear his cap and the mask at the same time. Well, and oh. also they they have fanny packs, which I'm gonna I want to make only because they're called fanny packs, and I know how that works for you there, Simon. Yeah. But they make they make uh, camo fanny packs, so a matching fanny pack, face mask, and cap. I'm thinking would be a great combo for someone. So um, I, I'll get back on that. They they were not because of all the COVID everywhere. All these producers making these things um, were not producing all the different types of products, but they're making fanny packs again. Apparently, not in the U.S., but only in Europe. So I I could try to get those into the catalog. Excellent, excellent. Yeah. Okay. Any 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 other shout outs? I probably do, but I can't think of them right now. Okay, well, I've I've got a shout out, and that's to Daniel. Now I'm going to say Cook, um, but that depends on what part of the UK you're from, because um, you'll say Cook as I say it, or some people will say Cook. Uh, but um, Daniel Cook, um, and that is the photographer behind the website, which is developed, um, which is called UsedLens.co.uk. And it's a really interesting site. Um, and the idea is that, yeah, that, that we should be on this all the time, really. Um, but you go to that. So it's usedlens.co.uk and you search whatever lens that you want. And it's linked in with uh, eBay. And this is at the moment, it's just eBayco.uk. Uh, um, but it's also linked in with a load of retailers as well. And I think that's actually where things start to get a little bit more interesting because, yeah, we can all just go on to eBay. Um, but I'm looking at this and there must be 50, 60, 70 different online retailers, independent retailers um, and Amazon Warehouse as well. Um, so you, you search your uh, whichever the lenses that you want and there's, half, you know, there's a reasonable chance that it might not be on eBay. Uh, but somebody else in the UK, at least, uh, might might have that lens in stock somewhere in a, in a small shop. Um, and this gives you like a one-stop uh, shop ability to actually search in independent retailers. And uh, I think that list is growing all the time as well. And I believe that the idea is going to be that if this is successful, as far as the UK side of things, then it could be rolled out to uh, to other territories, as uh, as we professional people say. Um, so it might be like a European-wide one, and then maybe one for North America, uh, and that kind of thing. So I think this is a really, really good idea. Um, so it's and it's only going to get better. So uh, um, well, well done there to to Daniel. Um, That's so, dangerous, man. Oh, it is. It is. We. We have a we've had a platform like that in Hong Kong for years, uh, and I'm on that like 
you know, when I'm I'm commuting to work and stuff, I'm just on my phone scrolling this thing constantly. <laughs> <laughs> it's dangerous. Yeah. That's it. So that's uh, just repeat that again. That's usedlens.co.uk. Um, so if you're in the UK, that's that's a good place to go if you want to buy a lens. Um, so that's it for for my shout outs. We've done coffee. Uh, so that's it. So uh, Perry, outside of this podcast, how can people keep up with you and, and the work that you do? Uh, you can find me on Flickr and Instagram at Perry G. Okay, and Johnny, how about you? Well, I'm invisible. You can't find me. I'm invisible. Yeah. But you hang out in, in in our Facebook group occasionally. They do. I don't do. Enjoy. You do. Yes, that's the most likely place to find me. Yeah, and if if people want to get in touch with us, what's the best way to do that? Um, Classic lenses podcast at gmail dot com um, is the very best way. It is. Uh, yep, and you can visit the podcast website at classiclensespodcast.com. dot com, and if you're on Instagram, uh, visit Best Vintage Lens. Yes, yeah, and this uh, the uh, the the call for moderators has, has been answered. Uh, on Best Vintage Lens, and they've got they've got some new people on there uh, helping Ricardo uh, and others on there as well. Um, actually, a, I, I spotted uh, a, uh, a writer to, into our show, uh, Peter Cosioni, 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 um, and that was a, I, I can remember that specifically because that was when we had Anthony Rue on the show, and um, we we needed Anthony to, to help us how to pronounce his name. Uh, so uh, I'm, he's he's a moderator on there now, which is cool. Um, so I don't know if there are any any other con- uh, classic lenses listeners that yeah. uh, that uh, that joined uh, joined there. Yeah, uh, Frank uh, is his surname. De- Frank DeCock. I know Frank DeCock. Yeah. Yeah, he was here in Chicago. <laughs> he sells hot dogs. Yeah, Frank DeCock. Everybody knows Frank DeCock. No, no, Frank, yeah, Frank DeCock is in our in our uh, Facebook oh, okay, group. He okay. lives in Taiwan. Uh, he posts some pretty cool pictures. Excellent. Cool. And uh, also, are you going to say something, Johnny? No, I don't think so. Okay, well that's it then. Uh, let's let's go. Um, thank you for for listening. Our music uh, it was by uh, Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Um, oh, I haven't done any links for myself. Uh, you can you can buy lots of lens caps uh, from me um, either on my eBay store uh, if you search it's Fozzy. I think you can find it. But that said though, if you wanted to find a lens cap for a a Miranda bayonet camera. Um, I'm it. I'm the only place you're going to get one from, but nobody wants one. <laughs> Strange, <laughs> strangely enough, I think I've sold about four. Um, but that's a good way to find my shop, uh, at least. So uh, there might be something on there that actually might be useful to you. So, uh, um, so, so there's that. Um, I'm on Twitter is Simon Four. Uh, that's F O R, not the number four. Uh, I'm on Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic. Um, and that's just about it, really. So I uh, um, hope you've enjoyed listening to this week's show. And if you can, be like Carl.